Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussions, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day. Welcome to another edition of our firm's podcast, Tax Breaks. My name is Kim Moody, and I'm here with my trusty colleague, Kenneth Kung. Kenneth Kung. Kenneth uh, is one of the directors of our Canadian Tax Advisory uh, practices in, uh, in our firm. One of the smartest guys there is around. And today, Kenneth, we are going to chat about the what I think is controversial, uh, the residential property flipping rule that was proposed in, uh, a while ago and now it's sitting in draft legislation. So we're going to have mm. some fun with this? Yes, we will. All right. So uh, before we get into the new proposed residential property flipping rule, maybe, you know, why... Let, let's just take a, a step back and talk about why this rule is even being proposed. Like, what's the mischief? And Kenneth... You know, I know you've heard this story about my uncle forever because I use it quite often. I enjoy it every time. Please tell it, Kim. (laughs) Thank you, Kenneth. I appreciate that. But I think the story kind of describes what the mischief is uh, in a nice way. So let's give, uh, I'll I'll tell the story and then we'll give a little bit of history and background in terms of where we are today. And and, uh, so let's talk about my uncle. So my uncle, love him dearly. He's still alive, married to my aunt, of course, and... Um, uh, lives in central Alberta and uh, back in the 1980s you know when inflation was high hmm geez kind of like today Kenneth inflation is high (laughs) interest rates are going up hmm geez same thing Uh, and the in Alberta at least with the national energy program back in the early 1980s property values went way down but then towards the mid 1980s you know once the national energy program was abolished and Alberta was on its way to recover. Um, you know, property values, as I said, increased. And so my uncle, thinking he was quite a smart guy uh, and thinking he knew everything about the principal residence exemption, started buying houses. And in a period of three years, uh, and I might be exaggerating a little bit here, but not much. In a period of three years, he bought and sold about 11 homes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because he had, you know, he believed that the only criteria to claim principal residence exemption on on every sale, which every sale he had a profit, uh, you had to live there. So of course, the mythology, even today, some people think that as long as I live live in the property for a day, I qualify for the principal residence exemption. And Kenneth, you're gonna inform us that that's just not the case (laughs) here. But uh, so he bought and sold these 11 properties uh, claimed principal residence exemption on every single one of the dispositions that he made a profit on, which is all of them. And back then, as you know, Kenneth, uh, if you're claiming principal residence exemption, the CRA, or back then Revenue Canada, uh, did not or had an administrative policy that if you're claiming principal residence exemption, you did not have to report or disclose the dispositions. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, did CRA even have a, or Revenue Canada have an opportunity to review the eligibility uh, for his positions? No. Uh, they certainly could have audited him, but, you know, it would have been, um, uh, but, you know, they didn't, to my knowledge. And therefore, at the end of the day, all these profits were without tax. So, Kenneth, with that little story, 
what's the policy mischief there? You know, what what's the what's the problem with that uncle of mine who made mm-hmm. all that money and didn't didn't report? Right. So the in order to claim principal residence exemption, the gain needs to be a capital gain in the first place. There are lots of case law of on when a gain is on account of capital, so it's a capital gain, or whether it is on account of income, so that it is a business uh, gain. And the courts look at many facts, such as the nature of property being sold, the length of ownership, the frequency of transaction, the amount of work being done on the property that is being sold, and and from what um, from an objective perspective, what is the motive of the taxpayer in acquiring this property? Um, and in in your uncle's story, given that he the frequency of transaction, well, that many properties in three years, that indicates on account of income. The fact that he is renovating each and every single house substantially uh, to, to get it to sell. Well, again, a... Which I didn't put that part in the story, but yeah. The, I, I would he, assume he did. <laughs> I'm not even sure, to be honest, but let's assume he did. Okay, yeah. let's assume he did. And and just the... Um, with a straight face, nobody... like He cannot say that he did not acquire each of these property with some intention of a resale. So all this indicates that these were not capital gain to begin with. And even if he had lived there, it doesn't matter because the principal resident exemption rule didn't, just simply did not apply. And not only is there no exception, but it is not a capital gain, which means the entire gain would be included in your uncle's income. Right. So... All to say, should he have been taxed? Yes, mm-hmm. because he would have been ineligible for the principal residence exemption, as you uh, rightly suggest and state. And secondly, um, it would have been fully taxable. And so... Uh, and they were probably even GST if they were. He, he was doing substantial renovation. Yeah, but back then, Kenneth, that was the 1980s. So oh, before I was... <laughs> before you were born. <laughs> before I was <laughs> conscious of... Yeah. Uh, skill testing question, Kenneth. When did the GST come into come into law? Ah, mm. you weren't even around then, I don't eh? Nineties, nineteen ninety one. If I'm correct, uh, off the top of my head, we'll have to check that offline. But I'm actually, why don't you Google and just make sure I'm right? <laughs> uh, it's Jan- I think it was January one, nineteen ninety one. If I'm not mistaken, or it might have been nineteen ninety. Uh, but in any event, while Kenneth looks that up, let's carry on. Uh, so yeah, January 1, 1991. There you go. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. Huh? Good memory, eh, Kenneth? Yes. <laughs> at least I'm good for something. So, so fast forward to, uh, to 2016, Kenneth, and this administrative rule that the CRA had had for decades, you know, uh, as I understand it, ever since capital gains came into existence on January 1st, 1992, um, you know, there was... Uh, no requirement by the CRA, even though the Income Tax Act didn't have that. If you read the Income Tax Act, it actually appears rather bluntly that you have to file a prescribed form um, in order to... And Kenneth, skill testing question, what's that prescribed form to claim principal residence exemption? T-something-71? T-2091. You better double-check that I'm right on that, too. (laughs) (laughs) But in any event, there there is... no requirement. You're right again. Jim. I'm right again. Yes. Jeez, I'm on fire, Kenneth. So uh, long story short is the CRA 
had no requirement up until 2016. In 2016, they came out with a revised administrative position that said, if you are claiming principal residence exemption, you must disclose the disposition. And they made that requirement apparent by revisions to Schedule 3, mm -hmm. uh, which now have checkoff box as to whether or not you're claiming principal residence exemption. And Can, you're required to file T-2091. Yeah. Right. I have been on record for years, Kenneth, even well before 2016, to say that that administrative position by the CRA was just wrong because it invited people like my uncle to become armchair tax experts on mm -hmm. principal residence. It invited mythology, and frankly, it created mythology, uh, in my view, by people who would not report the gains, like condo flippers, for example, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you know, they become experts because they never got audited and, you know, they think that they were eligible for this gain, uh, which, so... Yeah, but I, we do have to recognize that there, there are regular uh, mom-and-pop people who sell their home and didn't know, that still do sure. not know they need to file this T-2091, and now they may get reassessed by the CRA. But, but yeah, I, I know that we, we can satisfy everyone and for still sure. meet policy objectives. Yeah, for sure. But I think from a administrative perspective, I think it's well, it was well overdue that that principal residence disclosure should have been disclosed. And so today, uh, you know, that kind of disclosure would be required uh, if my uncle had disclosed, you know, disposed of all these properties. More than likely, the CRA would have picked up on this and, and taken a look at it. That would be my guess, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. But you never know, right? The CRA is, has its own issues. And Free properties, they flip a year, free designation. Yeah, they will. <laughs> I, I think they take a look for sure. So, so that's kind of, you know, uh, the history of principal residence exemption. And, you know, uh, but fast forward to the 2021 federal budget, or sorry, federal election campaign. And the Liberals came out with a proposal uh, that they wanted to introduce a so-called uh, residential property flipping uh, tax. And when you and I saw that uh, back in 2021, we thought, what the hell is that mm -hmm. all about? And then fast forward to, because not a lot of details were released, of course, but fast forward to the April 7th, 2022 budget. So as we record this today in October, you know, uh, four, five, five months ago or so, I guess. Um, and uh, the budget confirmed that they're going to introduce a residential property flipping rule and fast forward to August 9th of this year and they came out with some draft legislation. And Kenneth, the draft legislation is, is pretty thin, but they're introducing new subsection 12, sub 12. Um, and there's some new definitions of what a flipped property is and and uh, so, Kenneth, maybe you can describe what, what, what is the draft legislation proposing? Mm -hmm. It is saying that if you would have had a gain on a flip property, then that gain is automatically deemed to be a business income. And what is a flip property? That is a housing unit that is owned by the taxpayer for less than 365 consecutive days prior to the disposition of the property unless the disposition can reasonably be considered to occur due to or in anticipation of one or more life events that the legislation further described. There's about 
A, B, C, D, E, E, F, G, like nine, nine live events that would take you out of this flip property rule. Well, let's just go through some of those nine. So, so basically in a nutshell, Kenneth, you're saying if you sell within 365 days, you realize a profit, automatically it's going to be income ineligible for the principal residence exemption. And, and, and fully included in income. And fully included in income. However, if you have one of these nine so-called life events, then you're out. So, let, so here's some of the life events. So first one, if a person dies. Yeah, or oh, a person related to the taxpayer dies. Yeah, I guess you can't really plan to die, right? So, so it's <laughs> well, not a, if you know, it's not a planning yeah. <laughs> point, right? Uh, number two, uh, one or more person related to the taxpayer join the taxpayer's household, or the taxpayer joining the household of a related person. So I take that in plain English to mean that you've expanded the household some somehow, and therefore you got to buy a new house or get a new house. Yeah, or anticipating that to happen, right. and so you sell it. Okay, so I don't really know if there's a planning issue there or, or joining or I'm selling my house to live in my, live in my parents house right to yeah. join a parent related person household yeah I don't know if I'd want to plan for that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, three is the breakdown of a marriage or common law partnership mm -hmm. and you've been living separate and apart from that person for at least 90 days prior to the disposition um, I like the next one a threat to the personal safety of the taxpayer or related person or a related person or a related person yeah Next one, the taxpayer-related person is suffering from a serious illness or disability. What's the next one, Kenneth? An eligible, an eligible relocation, which has its own definition, which usually means that you're moving um, to, to another place for work. Uh, but, but usually there is a minimum distance threshold. Um, eligible relocation of the taxpayer or the taxpayer's spouse or common-law partner. Uh, if that definition was read without reference to the requirement for the new work location and the new residence to be in Canada, meaning, I guess, you can even move out of the country right. uh, to work, and then this would qualify. Next one is an involuntary termination of the employment of the taxpayer, the taxpayer's spouse or common law partner. So in a nutshell, you get fired. Yeah, or, or get fired and become a contractor. Termination employment. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> uh, the insolvency of the taxpayer is the next one. And the last one is the destruction or expropriation of the property. So I look at all those so-called life events which get you out of this uh, result. And I, I, I see some real problems with this, Kenneth. Um, like, number one, how are they going to police this? How is this Canada Revenue Agency going to police this? So you have a taxpayer who disposes of a property. They make a profit. They take the position, and they sell it within 365 days, so they're into these rules. And they take the position that, you know, for example, the one that's easy to pick on is a threat to the personal safety of the taxpayer-related person. So, Kenneth, you and I live next door to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, you've yelled at me one day, mm -hmm. hey, Kim, I hate your guts. Make sure you uh, shovel your snow. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and I take that as a position as a threat to my personal safety. Is that good enough? Like, where's where's the threshold? And, um, you know, you could go down the list yeah. here, and some of them are black and white, like a breakdown of the marriage is black and white. But how do you prove it? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And uh, it, dying is black and white. It, it will be very subjective. It will really be based on an auditor, right? How, uh, how easy is the auditor to convince, right? And, and I guess if you are going to plan into this rule, you will have all the evidence con uh, prepared concurrently uh, with the event. So maybe I will complain about you, Kim. I will then file a police report, <laughs> keep my police report, 
there. <laughs> Foolproof <laughs> evidence of why this is not a flip property, and then sell it. Sell it. Yeah. In real life, it just doesn't work that way, right? Unless you are planning right into it if and you're creating this it, evidence. Yeah, yeah sure. Mm-hmm. But in, in real life, um, so I don't know. But yeah, it's, long story short is I, I, I see some real policing problems with some of these life events. But yeah. or, or pl- anticipating to get, get pregnant, right? So and it didn't happen. I was anticipating a baby to join my household. Yeah. Are you going to? How are you going to prove that wasn't my intention? Yeah. So, all to say, and maybe we'll conclude this this podcast on this kind of point is because now that our listeners are aware of these rules and the context and the history, and you know, Kenneth, is this rule really necessary? And maybe once we conclude on that, or even comment on that, we don't have to conclude. We can just comment. Mm-hmm. But you know, what kind of behavior is this going to drive in your your estimation? Yeah. So. I'll, I'll leave it to you first because you're usually kinder than me. Uh, are these rules necessary? No, these rules are not necessary. There's already rules based on so according the uncle story. Uh, uncle already couldn't claim principal residence exemption. Okay, in the past, CRA, it, it was really hard for CRA to detect. But now with the required designation of principal residence exemption, there is no reason why the CRA couldn't detect these kind of activities and audit the bad bad behaviors. There's no no need to create this redundant rules. But what this redundant rule actually drive would be people who are planning into these rules to, so one, creating these live events, or two, waiting until 366 day to, to sell the property and try to claim that is this rule somehow somehow provide a safe harbor if you sell the property after 365 days, which by the way, it doesn't, but it kind of gives the impression or maybe a presumption that it does. So in that way, this rule, these rules may be actually be counterproductive. Now, thirdly, these, these rules are actually mean-spirited. Uh, what we didn't talk about is if you have a loss from a flip property, uh, one, it is not treated as a business loss and, and uh, it's not deemed to be business loss automatically. And secondly, even if it is, now you don't get to add that loss to your non-capital loss pool. Right. I would presume, although it's not clear, that it just becomes a capital loss. Having said that, if it's a personally used property, capital loss is deemed to be nil. But if I bought this for resale and I hired a wrong general contractor and I actually lose money on, on my house, which I was planning to report as a business income and I f- my business venture fell and now I don't get a loss carry forward? Yeah, that's, that's, that is unfair. That's a very good point, Kenneth. Very good that's, point. I'm, I'm a legit house developer yeah. uh, uh, as, a, an, as an individual and I, and I don't get a loss. Yeah, I agree. Um, so just to, I, I, I parrot your comments, Kenneth, so back up. Do I think these rules are necessary? A thousand percent, no. This is, in my view, it's very political. These are, this is a very political, spirited, um, release, uh, totally unnecessary. Now, having said that, to be fair, you know, catching my uncle in the past would have been fairly tough for the CRA to find. Right, Kenneth? Yeah. Uh, today, does it make the CRA's administration potentially easier with these new rules? Maybe, right? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And so to be fair, now there's a bright line test that anything less than 365 days is full income. The CRA doesn't have to go through the usual income versus capital uh, you know, analysis. Uh, 
So from that perspective, perhaps, and I'm being very generous here, but perhaps it makes administration of the CRA a little bit easier. Uh, having said that, I still stand by that these rules are not necessary. The CRA has all the disclosure tools available to it to review transactions that it wants to. Um, you know, and so I, I, don't, uh, I don't think these rules are, are necessary. And I do agree with you, so I won't repeat what you said in terms of driving uh, behavior. I do think we're going to see the 366-day disposition, and we're going to see people thinking that they're into safe harbor zones when, when they're not. Mm -hmm. And so all to say, Kenneth, uh, in conclusion, it's disappointing that these rules are, are proposed, but regardless, you need to be aware of them and uh, watch for it to become law at some point. Uh, likely later this year, uh, I'm guessing it'll be put into a bill mm -hmm. and uh, at some point receive royal assent. So, As proposed, it's supposed to apply for dispositions that occur after 2022. Yep. So, all right. Any other final comments, Kenneth, or is that it for another no, great day in it. podcast land? Actually, let me just re uh, clarify my comment there about one thing about loss. I think that if you are a legit land a land developer, you won't. This this would not prevent a, a loss from from occurring. It is when someone who is not in the business of uh, land development uh, or in the business of flipping houses, and they just did, they they bought this bought this place uh, residence and then sell it within a year, then that loss will be denied. Yeah, that that that's a that's a good point, Kenneth, and I think the draft legislation is rather clear on that point, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. So, okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. And with that, thanks everyone. And uh, thank you, Kenneth, as always. And uh, until next time, have a great day. Goodbye, Bye everyone. Now.